Hello and welcome to Deep in the D-Pad, where we explore all things gaming through an intellectual lens. I'm your friendly neighborhood game designer and host, Carlos, and with me, as always, is R.K. Taylor. What's up? Before we dive into our topic of the day, we will begin with our oh-so-sweet D-Pad delights. So, Ryan, today we're talking about cheat codes and glitches, and I'm wondering, do you have any fun stories from your past that would involve this cheat codes i'm sure you do you know man i'm in the deep head dumps today i don't have anything you don't have anything what are you talking about in the okay, dumps? Nah, just, messing, <laughs> just messing yeah as we were talking about like the possibility of doing cheat codes i had uh a rush of memories of like being of, of like early youth like early video game days like before i could read pokemon and like you know would be like just pressing buttons because professor oak was just a nuisance at that point like letters that i could barely recognize (laughs) uh and i remember you know it it was all word of mouth back then you know i mean there wasn't like an inner there wasn't the internet you know there would be like magazines that you could look at that that would have information about cheat codes but a lot of it was just like you'd play with someone who had the same game and they knew about this thing. So I was thinking about, like, the Masingo glitch. Do you remember that, the Pokemon? Yeah, this it would look like a glitched-out image, and it still had health and attacks and stuff. Yes. I never caught it, never knew where to find it. I saw it once. I don't think I caught it. But, um, yeah, like, Masingo was, like, actually written as, like, missing no, as in, like, number. Uh, so that's where, like, the game, like, that's where it came from. And I, th- I guess in retrospect, uh, you know, I'm trying to, like, use what I under, how I understand games now to analyze what this was. But basically, for anybody who doesn't know, it was, like, almost like a placeholder of, like, this Pokemon battle. And it was, like, it, it's, it's, like, it wasn't actually, it was, like, kind of like a shrouded image. Like, I don't think it was, like, an, like, very shapely. Like, it didn't look like at any actual Pokemon. And you had to do something, like, surf on a, on your, like, Pokemon and, like, go around this island or whatever. Um, I, I don't remember all the steps because, like, I mean, this is, like, literally, like, 20-something years ago, you know? Uh, <laughs> but I remember Missingo being, like, you know, th- like, the hot thing to try to find and let's, like, break the game and try to, you know? Uh, and, you know, in yeah. that same vein... Missingo that- was, like, another legendary, right? Right next to finding Mew and or Mewtwo in the game? I don't know if I would Like, it, so it wasn't far. by design, yes, but it, it seemed like one of those so rare type pokemon yeah i mean it's interesting because it had like a certain like cultural weight to it like anybody you'd have to know about it first off and then you had to go through this elaborate process to try to find it and you're like attempting to break the game you know in a way Mm -hmm. you know you're trying to get the game to do something to like evoke a reaction that 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 is wasn't really intended um so I think in terms of, like, if someone else had Masingo, that was, like, as cool as having a Legendary. Um, Or maybe even cooler, because it's, like, not intentional, and, like, you have to, like, hunt for it and whatnot, but... Dude, also Game Shark was nuts. Like, can you just talk? Can you like? I don't even remember what Game Shark is, but I thought it was like. Oh my goodness! Dude. So like the you mean the book or the loader thing? Also, actually, sorry. Before we get into Game Shark, I just wanted to mention a thing on the Pokemon cheat codes. Yo, ra- um, rare candies, infinite rare candies. That like 
more so duplicating Pokemon. That was the one that I went for. And like, okay, so duplicating Pokemon, it, it, back back then you had a link cable. Like there was no wireless internet uh, and or like just easy transferring, transferring a data. So you had this like hyper-colored plasticky link cable that you'd plug into the side of two Game Boy Colors or whatever, Game Boy Advances, whatever you used. And as you're commencing the trade of Pokemon, you would you would either unplug the cable or turn off the game at the same time in the hopes that your game would say like psych and just like keep your pokemon but but hope that both games say psych so that everyone just gets the you know have their cake and eat it too but the this is where it's a cheat code or like a hack or whatever. The the other side of this katana is that it could completely corrupt your data, right? Or you could just flat out lose your Pokemon. So it's like you've you've got yeah, a pretty dancing extreme with range the devil, of pop. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's a a risk, you know. It's like I really want both my Alakazam and Lapras, but I can't have both. You know, like oh gosh. The lengths no, that people will risk go it to. all for them. Yeah, and that's also how. Okay, I want to go back to Game Shark because again, like this was so long ago that like I barely remember what this is. So, but I I like see the world through like the six year old eyes that I did then, and like it's like I remember thinking that it was like a real like bad boy TM type of technology <laughs> where it was like, oh shit, like I I don't know if it's technically jailbreaking but like i remember hearing about and like seeing people use the cartridge i'm talking about the cartridge not the book and and like thinking that they were risking permanently damaging uh like their hardware or the software and and that like ruining their the warranty possibilities but also being able to unlock like this realm of like infinite cheat code possibilities and it was like the hottest shit like you were such a bad boy if you had one but you were also like you know you knew how they to felt use hard it. to come by too yeah y- yeah exactly like it it they had a it had a air of like mystery and or coolness because it was kind of hard to come by and especially as a kid like uh it, it just seems at least in my recollection it was hard as hell to do any sort of convincing of buying a game, let alone a non-game, to put under my exactly. other games. Exactly. <laughs> I was ju- I was just going to say that. Like, you'd have to be techie enough as, like, a seven-year-old with a Game Boy to, like, decide that you were going to not get a game and instead get this, like, chip that hacks other games. So you really had to have some kind of, like, expendable income or, like, parents who were, like, super techie or, like, supportive of that. Like, yeah. I couldn't even imagine trying to have that conversation with my mom where I was like, okay, it's not a game technically, but, like, please, I'm seven. It'll I'm, let I'm me beat other games much more easily. Like, you know those <laughs> things you get me once every six months? It'll help me complain faster that I need more of them. <laughs> like, that, I imagine that's how it would translate, right? It's like, get this thing that helps me beat games faster. And it's like, why the fuck would I do that? <laughs> so how did Game Shark actually work before we get deeper? Uh, I've only ever seen, like, a couple of videos on it. But if I recall correctly, at least... Okay, so physically, uh, let's say you had, like, a Nintendo 64 or something. Like, you would put the N64 cartridge in and then... Uh, you would put your video game cartridge on top of that N64 cartridge, the Game Shark, and from there, turn on your console, and it runs through the Game Shark first. At least I think it does. It should run through the Game Shark first, and then um, like 
you like get the pick cheat codes and stuff and then you like run your game and from there it like has a it, it'll have a menu that you can interact with so something good that the that our listeners can check out uh would be a video of what game shark is like which we will link in the description um it's certainly something that i don't think we really have uh nowadays like game shark as a brand is still around um they are still making some things but very i think it's very much so nowadays you have like actual just mods mod systems for that but yeah, jumping uh, kind of tangentially related to mods, uh, My D-Bad Delight is about Grand Theft Auto and its flying car cheat code. This is absolutely my favorite cheat code in any and every Grand Theft Auto game. Uh, Grand Theft Auto, massive open world game, makes billions of dollars. Most people know about it. Hopefully you do as well. If not, watch a video and play it. It's worth it. Um, so in this game, I like driving around, but more so I like, uh, back to the future and the ability to fly cars around in a city. So I think it was like Grand Theft Auto three introduced to this cheat, uh, or at least that was the first I interacted with it, uh, was Grand Theft Auto three. And if I recall, the car couldn't like fully fly. I'm not entirely sure on this. I think it was kind of like more of a glider situation. Like you could get enough speed, you can tilt up and it would get you some air, but eventually you'd come back down, something like that. Uh, I know by like Grand Theft Auto, Vice City, it worked way more like the Back to the Future car. Like I think even the wheels like went horizontal oh, when, when you sick. went up the fly. Yes, oh, I, I loved love it. it so much. And And back then, like you died immediately when your character went into the water. So it was like... It, it just felt so much more freeing, right? That you could just like bah, 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 over over a fucking ocean, right? And now let's get deeper into the D pad. Okay, so let's get into it. We've been talking a little bit about cheats. Let's let's just get into the thick of cheat codes and fudging around with your games. Um, I think a good place to start is maybe more in the beginning, like what were some of the early cheat codes? What were cheat codes like in their heyday? Which which were maybe most memorable? And I, I think it would be good maybe to get individual takes and then we could see maybe what the internet has been thinking, like what's the top like Google results when we see like famous cheat codes. Um, but Ryan, you mentioned uh, infinite rare candies and game sharks. Were there any other... Are there any other cheat codes, you know, like Grand Theft Auto is a pretty big pillar. The the Pokemon and the Game Shark thing is a pretty big, like, memory pillar for that. What what else jumps to your mind for, like, cheat codes back then? Could we talk about things that may have preceded cheat codes, even? What would that be? I, like, I'm thinking about how, um, like, because games used to have, or, and consoles would have, s like, such little availability for space... I remember there being games that had codes that you would enter and it was like basically like a load point. So like rather it would like load the scene that that like you would that you were last on. So you'd defeat a boss, they would give you, you know, the six digit code that you would enter and then you'd always be able to use that to return to the to, to the next place. Um and that was like something that was birthed in because of a limitation, right? Like that was that was more accessible than, you know, having the the storage space to to be able to save the game file um and i feel like cheat codes i you know i don't i don't know which one which one occurred first so i'm really just throwing it out there as a hypothetical that like the you know that seems to me to be almost like proto cheat code yeah so i think you're 
picking up onto something interesting. What you're talking about are passwords. As far as I've known them in games, like Mega Man 2, Aladdin, SNES, you know, all, back then, like exactly you said, they can't actually program in save systems. So, or, well, the save systems that they can program in are password-based. They're code-based. I think the thing that differentiates them from cheat codes is that there is an intentional interface. There's an intentional uh, end-user interface for the user to input these cheat codes in. Uh, so the two examples I'll give is that Aladdin slash Mega Man game, right? It's like you put in six pictures and, and then enter the password and it'll load a level versus the Grand Theft Auto. In Grand Theft Auto, any of the cheat codes, uh, they can be entered just during regular play and... And you're not really getting any feedback for putting them in up until the up until the end. So that's what makes it feel that much more like a debug command. Like it's very long, very intricate to make sure that an end user doesn't accidentally trigger any of these codes, right? Like it's uh, for for the infinite guns or whatever. It's like up, down, left, right, up, down, left, right. Uh, like L1, R1, L1, R1, XY, XY, whatever. Uh, it goes that long because they don't want an end user to accidentally do that rather than removing it from the game and in those older examples the snes stuff there's like a whole picture screen that says password and you got like all the different different options and i think that's basically that password screen is what level select was before level select could actually like be a, a system in there right so you're saying that they're trying to help you access the level select it, with, through the password mechanism it's it, they're prompting you and they're letting you know that you're trying to uh, execute this function whereas for uh, the cheat codes they're almost like trying to hide it from you they're obscured yes and Easter eggs too I think preceded cheat codes do you have knowledge on this I I don't have concrete knowledge I would say through what I know most likely, yes, Easter eggs did come before cheat codes. Argument could be made like, oh, what if somebody put in like a debug code in Pong or, or something like that? Like, I just looked it up. I, rem I, rem I remember hearing this. The first, it says the first recorded video game Easter egg in the game was in the game Adventure, programmed by Warren Robinette in 1979, working for Atari. Okay. That was like a literal Easter egg. Is that correct? That was an Easter egg, yes. And it didn't come in the form of a literal Easter egg. I think it was actually the credits. It was somebody, it was one of the creators or or one creator who put in multiple developers' uh, titles. But anyway, it was the credit screen. Like, that game didn't have a credit screen, so the Easter egg was a room where the developer wrote their name in the room. Right, yes. And yes, yes. yes that, is, that is like the earliest Easter egg. And you... You still see Easter eggs like that to this day. Like the, I hid this little signature, or I hid this picture, I hid this item here. One of the funnier examples of that uh, is in GTA San Andreas. I think it's like one of the bridges or something that you go to. If you go there by jetpack, it'll say, that there's nothing to see here. No Easter eggs. Go away. <laughs> and that in itself is like an Easter egg. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, had a, you were part of an Easter egg. As well with uh with Days Gone, right? Was I? I don't think so. There was like your your name was on like the whiteboard or chalkboard or something like that. Oh, oh yeah, I guess that is an Easter egg. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. The development team uh, at SIE Bend wrote their names on a whiteboard, and that was photographed by one of the artists and scanned into the game, and we all, uh, <laughs> we all get featured in a suicide classroom. Great. <laughs> 
We, we love, love, love it. <laughs> we're, we're canon to the Sony universe, but we're dead. <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, no, that was really cool. Uh, yeah, I, I liked that. I was really excited to see that in the end product. And uh, it's, uh, I find it kind of pleasant every now and then when someone points it out on Twitter, like, oh, I noticed these are some of the people there. Yeah. Um, it's cool. It's just it's just people appreciating. It's like you, you see people appreciating things you, you had fun in. Yeah. And, you know, like the thing that I love to do, like when we're talking is like rigidly define every possible, like every possible thing and like understand the differences between these things. So we've talked about the level, like how the level select the passwords the password level select type stuff is different than cheat codes i would say that easter eggs are different than cheat codes because they're like they're not really interactive they're just more like visual or like they're more like narrative or or like uh meta like meta commentary references like you said like having someone's name there um it, you An know easter egg can be interactive i don't think we should say easter eggs can't be interactive give me an example they ser- oh uh the example i have is in homefront the second one i can't Homefront, the, the the I don't remember that subtitle, but anyway, in Homefront two, uh, there's an arcade cabinet that you could find on a floor in a certain level, and if you interact with this, it lets you play two levels from a from Time Splitters two, uh, and then that that there is an Easter okay. egg, an actual mm-hmm. cheat code is the full game of Time Splitters two that's trapped inside that game. So you can play two levels of that full game by doing the Easter egg, which is the arcade cabinet, or you can put in the cheat code, which is a much lengthier sequence of things, and you don't go to a specific place to toggle it, and you get, like, the entire Time Slitters 2 game. Okay, so would you say that Easter eggs are more, like, found either objects or interactive uh, experiences, whereas cheat codes require not just that you find something, but that you specifically input a correct combination of of characters or whatever um, in order to to like command it to to like in order to execute it. Yeah, I suppose so. Like, uh, yeah, a cheat code, like we mentioned before, is something that will most likely require inputs, if not like a third party program. But the point of the cheat code is to break the rules of the game in some way. Whereas Easter eggs don't really do that um like cheat codes are for the most part i think it's safe to say that cheat codes will be a gameplay modifier in some sense like giving you extra weapons giving you weapons you're not supposed to have at the time whatever uh whereas an easter egg where an easter egg can be experiential it can be just a thing you see it could be like the time splitters level it could be a thing you interact with in a short burst that doesn't have any influence at all on the actual like main game experience main game slash narrative experience i dig that yeah yeah that's good okay that's our show bye everyone (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you for coming to our ted talk (laughs) um something though something uh now that we have like cheat codes nailed down and uh all that what are your thoughts on like the more physical type of cheating as opposed to digital so like going back to the link cable thing i mentioned uh let's like it's kind of like lo-fi hacking uh in a sense so if you're playing like an n64 game right let's say you're playing like donkey kong 64 and you want to like cheat past a door so in order to do this you pulled your cartridge halfway out or you like made it slanted so like the left side of the cart was out and it like produced some cool thing that lets you like clip through 
walls. Yeah, I was never, um, and still am not, like, badass enough to be, to, like, fuck with my machine like that. Like, I'm not, like, I, my cartridge is gonna stay inside the N64 unless I need to, like, blow it, blow some dust out of there or something like that. Like, <laughs> like I am not messing around with that. Like, those, those were always too precious for me, um, and, like, yeah. I'm just, like, I'm a rule follower to some degree, you know, I mean, I, I definitely was as a kid, um, so I, I was never gonna mess with any of that stuff, but I remember there, like, I tried things that were, that seemed, like, less invasive, like, uh, there's this, like, you know, in a, in Ocarina of Time, I, no, is it, yeah, I think it's Ocarina of Time, there's this, uh, like, very, very early on, like, in the starting area, you have to, like, collect a shield and a, and a sword, and there's a way to, like, get past a guard with only one of those items, I think, if you, like, roll when he's, like, you know, he's, like, a, he's, he's, like, circling, he, like, blocks your way, basically, until you have both of those items, and there's a way where you can kind of, like, trap him in the corner and, like, do, like, a dodge roll, and, and you're able to, like, get past him, and I think that that's one of the ways that, like, speedrunners were able to to, you know kind of, like, trick the game and, and, like, move past, um, very quickly. I, I think I tried that, but, like, also, like, I didn't, I don't think I got very far, like, I can't really remember what the end result is. Honestly, I like to play it safe, and, like, most of the time have, like, wanted to play games the way that they were served to me. Um, I, I've never been, like, super deep into, into, like, cheat codes or mods, but, Again, like I'm super interested in them. I think that they're, and I, I, and I think especially now that cheat codes are kind of like phased out in a weird way, or like they've, they've become, they've morphed into other things. They've like evolved to meet the needs of like our current technology and our current like ways of playing and interests. Um, and some of them are even like the function of them has been like wedded into like games, like customizable, you know, like there used to be cheat codes for like, I'm going to have a lot of money and then you could like buy a bunch of clothes, right? But games now have like, often have customizable features or th for things that would have required a cheat code or microtransactions like we've talked about before for which would serve the same function. Well, looking at a kind of like a list of like, hey, what are like famous uh, cheat codes? And I learned that actually like GTA 4 and 5 uh, do have cheat codes codes they definitely do have cheat codes but they're in the form of like phone numbers uh because both games have this like cell phone interface that you bring up so if That's you call sick. these numbers yeah and one of them one of the numbers is like let's see three six nine uh, it's like 14 digits long or something it's like definitely like you're i i don't think you're gonna find that in the game but like if some if it is actually right now in the environment that'd be hilarious um but just real quick so we're talking about kind of like the the history of cheat codes and stuff and i i just want to call out a couple more um so like we have the phone numbers in the more recent gta games uh we mentioned the flying cars and like getting all the weapons um but do Doom, Doom had, I, I guess, like, I don't know if started is the right word, but uh, basically, like, using God, modes, God mode in games, I think, became very popular with Doom. Um, and in a lot of games, it became just shorthand to, like, dash God in, like, the command prompt menu. Um, one of the big things I remember, actually, uh, obviously, the Konami code. But the one I wanted to get to was The Sims. There's a code for, like, a whole bunch of money. It's, like, uh, I think it's, like, Rosebud or something. Um, but, yeah, the like, that was a major... Because The Sims is so big, like, that was a major cheat code um, 
And I mean, this list calls it out as well. Uh, just like Rosebud allowed you to get like an easy couple hundred thousand or maybe, oh, okay. So you type in Rosebud and then you add in however many exclamation points you want for like thousands of in-game money. Oh yeah. my gosh. Like the order of magnitude was your number of exclamation points. Yeah, That's for every, it's a, it's one thousand sim bucks for every exclamation mark you put after Rosebud. Also, Rosebud, like if like I'm guessing that's a Citizen Kane reference, and it's like interesting that that's like, well, I don't know for sure, but like who really uses Rosebud, right? Like I've never really whatever. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you would want to build your fantasy house in The Sims, and like you don't want to fucking play and like make your sim do all this shit. So what do you do? You cheat. You break, you modify the game, not necessarily break it, but you definitely do something you're not supposed to be able to do to get a lot of money and build your own dream home and be awesome. I, I don't know if this is purely anecdotal, but when I think about, like, cheat codes and, and, like, you know, in their heyday, I think about, like, hanging out with friends and, like, doing, f- like, it, like, with the game that everybody was, like, either completely familiar with or somewhat familiar with, and then... Y- in order to be able to play with a group, you would do something new. Like yeah. it, it was, it was something to keep the game fresh and fun. And like, like th- there were really silly ones, like big head mode or something like that. That has like no function, but it's something that everybody can like look at and laugh at together. And it, it almost like can make a game more of a party game because it adds a level of experimentation that like you're you're not trying to play the game anymore. You're trying to see how the cheat code has an effect on the game that can be enjoyable for you. Or there are the functional ones, like you said, with the money, like where it's like, I'm just going to level up super quickly, you know? So I guess they have different, different functions, but that's my primary, like that's my primary association with cheat codes. And like, you know, just going over to a friend's house and like laughing about silly stuff that we were able to do. Did you do cheat codes a lot by yourself? Uh, no, not too often. I mean, I definitely use them uh, a lot of the times in the ways you're talking about just to sort of like extend the fun <laughs> duration, the enjoyment I had with the game. Like I would pretty much go through the game as intended. And then uh, if and when I started to like lose interest in the game, uh, that's when I would start looking for cheat codes. Um, and with more sandboxy games, like obviously the cheat codes were just like, yeah, do them. Cause like, it's just going to make the game more fun. Um, that's where I primarily go to with cheat codes is like, what's going to make the game more fun while depending on the mood I'm in, like I may still want the challenge of the game. So maybe I'll just turn on big head mode and like play the game and be like, haha, this looks comical, but I'm still having a fun challenge that I'm overcoming. Or I'll just turn on like invincibility mode and, you know, have the greatest power trip. Um, and you know, I'm opting into that. So I don't feel the burn of not having a challenge. Yeah. So ukulele, um, not the impossible air one, the the like original three. The first one. ukulele, okay. Yeah, um, it has. Uh, I I think it has collectibles that translate to things that would have been cheat codes in an earlier time. So like the big head mode, or you know, like make like they have a, a feature that like can make the game look like banjo kazooie graphics. Uh, you know, like mm-hmm. they they make it look like sixty four bit or whatever. You know. Yeah. Uh, and so you can toggle between, you know, like the the current re- rendering or or the old school rendering, and 
but you can't, they don't just let you do that at the start of the game. You have to either, there's either some kind of like collectible that is like a currency that, that you can then use or specific collectibles that like allow you to have this specific toggle feature. So, which adds like a, a like a form of like progression and like, it, it's almost like really inconsequential because like it doesn't matter, you know, if you don't ever get to see the 64 bit, you know, and you may not even want to, to play that way um, or like the big head mode, but it, it's like kind of like an added feature and it's like integrated. And I, I think one of the reasons why we went in that direction, I think that's a really smart direction um, for our era. And I, I think the reason why we're doing that rather than the like entering like button combinations or whatever um, is because one, the, the, the novelty of like button combinations has kind of worn off, I think. Yeah. And it's like, there's something like almost like this is going to sound so silly, but like laborious about it where it's like, Oh gosh, like how exhausting to have to press these 10 buttons when I just want like big head mode. Like that's not, you know, like <laughs> I know we're really like, it sticking is with laborious though. It sounds, it's a very first world problem, but it totally is laborious. Like well, you, you never get it right on the first try. I mean, you'd have to try exactly. it like three times and you were like, what the fuck is my X button broken? Like what's the problem? Here? <laughs> exactly. And when, you, and because, and I always knew this from grand theft auto, like the all weapons sheet, because you're not getting feedback until it actually works. Yeah. You just, you're just like, Oh fuck. Like, I'm just going in blind, I'm spending, like, 10 seconds putting this in, and then I screw up one step, and then I spend 10 more seconds in, right? But you, you're hyper-aware of the moment-to-moment in when you're, like, playing games. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the, the other thing I was going to say is that, like, they're also not as, like, clandestine now as they, as they, like, there was something that was, that had, like, an air of mystery about them because it was, like, primarily, like, word of mouth or because you'd have to, like, buy a Nintendo Power and, like, take it home and, or, like, rip it out and share it with friends or, or, you know, whatever. Like, you had to find and, like, scavenge your way for cheat codes. And there was something that was, like, almost kind of, like, thrilling about that where it was, like, you're playing yeah. a game outside of the game, like, even, like, when you're Yo, at even in the... Sorry to cut you off, Ryan, but, like, you forgot one big step when we were growing up. When the internet, like, started becoming, like, more regular is... Uh, when the word of mouth was no longer like good enough, you had to go to the World Wide Web well, and exactly, fucking yeah. take that, the phone offline for like an hour or two. You load up some website that you think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, dial up, of course, yeah. So like nobody can call your house. You can't, you can't communicate to the outside world. You're at like cheatcc.com or whatever, Cheat Code Central, and like, or or I, I don't remember the other one, but like. uh Oh my goodness! Like it, it, it felt like it felt like you were hacking, but you were just like a, a a kid browsing the internet. That that's what the main point here is. So yeah, you would get them from books, you would get them from friends, and then you know as as technology got better, you would kind of like skip the first two and start just going to the internet. Um and and which is also why they suck now because like I don't want, like how easy is it to just Google list of cheat codes for this thing and, and like now like as much as we were complaining about like the laborious nature of entering the cheat codes there's no longer a challenge and there's no longer really a thrill of discovering the cheat codes because if they were around like you they would just everybody would be able to access them with, with like complete like freely you know it, it would, yeah. there would be no barrier um whereas you know like ign back in the day used to have someone who would be like their cheat code researcher who would be the one who would write the articles or whatever about like here's the newest cheat codes and like basically the, a per like imagine a person whose whole job is to like 
do every possible thing they can to this controller in order to activate, like to find the cheat codes, you know? I mean, that's amazing now. We would never see that nowadays. To take it a step further, imagine if they did some... I don't know if you would call this investigative journalism, but what if they actually like reached out to developers and said, hey, can you give me info on like any cheat codes that might be missing? Sure, because you might want to leak your own cheat codes, you know, if you're the developer, because then you're getting press out there and people are like, "Ooh, what are these cheat codes? Yeah, and that's 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 another thing, too. This is a little bit. It's like video game history or like or like archival of information uh, to know like, hey, like Sonic the Hedgehog is a game that existed, but like, did you know that within it, there's like a, a hidden code and, and that type of thing. Uh, and like, you know, even though we know the code, like that doesn't ruin it. It's, it's still good that we know the code in there. Anyway, what I wanted to say is that like, we see this popping up, I think, from time to time on Twitter. Like you'll have like game dev thread, like what's the best Easter egg or cheat code you put into something. And I'm, I'm like wondering if, if the IGN person actually like went ahead and like hunted down for these. Um, but it would be cool to have a person actually doing that. I think that's, as we've said, because the way it's inputted, it's overall popularity, like dwindling over time. I think it's something that like, has and may eventually get like lost to time um and i say has been lost to time because of specifically the time splitters 4k port like that was uh a developer so the game time splitters 2 there it's entirely within Homefront: the revolution and you could play the entire game via a cheat code uh this cheat code was given out by a developer to someone um, and this someone tried to communicate it to other people, I think via Discord, and they weren't believed, uh, and they were banned for for on that Discord or whatever, and they just like didn't share that information with anyone else. So I wonder, like, we got very lucky because I think in the last two weeks or something, uh, that cheat code was like found again, either through the developer or through someone else. But how many cheat codes have been lost to history? Like how many how many devs have like left the game and just kept that information with them, or how many of them have just flat out forgot after like not being on the game for so long and nobody wrote it down? Um, it's just like I don't view it as like a horribly sad thing, but it's like I like to I just like having all this weird trivia type information. So <laughs> I kind of like the idea of them being lost in a way because they are almost like the most cheat cody if they're unknown, you know, like they've returned to their original state of like, wow, if anybody is ever playing this and they discover this independently, you know, then they will be like, you know, the original, like they are the, the someone could theoretically be the only person alive, you know, who knows about who knows this particular code. cheat code. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Damn, it's like that's more so special. fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, it sounds like such a fun, like the last Starfighter concept, right? <laughs> you're just like, you're playing a game one day, you put in the debug, code and then it's like that's it you have been chosen to save the universe come with me (laughs) (laughs) but but, wait really quick though like the like art in terms of like do you wish that there was like a library of like video games where like there was like an archival cheat code section um is that something that like as a developer you think that there would be like an like a need for as as like we have more and more games and like the need to catalog them and and preserve them. 
I think it would be nice. Uh, I guess it de- it depends on the content, honestly. Like the time splitters to full game cheat code, I think that's like a necessity to hold on to, um, because I I don't know if you can get that content commercially or anywhere else. But but let's say like the all guns cheat in Grand Theft Auto. As much as we like all love it and have fun with it, I don't think that necessarily needs to be recorded for all of history. Like it could be recorded that that was there. Like like there was a magical sequence of buttons that could get you this, but it, you don't have the literally etch into stone like L one R one X B X B whatever. Are you just making up characters, or do you like actually have the memory of? I like... don't actually have it memorized. Okay. I I just know the I just know the the. I know it goes around on the D-pad a couple times and the L1, R1, L2, R2 thing because I had to do it so many times. I just know it, muscle memory. But yeah, I, I, I don't... Okay, so let me reframe your idea because I think we should have that, but in a more sophisticated way. Like, I would like a library of cheat and or... I would like a library of, like, cheats and easter eggs and maybe have each book quote unquote be a video game so like if i'm if i'm super interested in like telltales the walking dead i could like go into this library and find the telltales the walking dead series book and like look through it and and like see like oh there's like this cheat code or like this debug code in here and maybe like a nice like little paragraph blurb from a developer that worked on the game or the developer that made that specific code to maybe give a little bit of flavor or history to it. Hmm. Um, I think that would be really cool, especially if you like actually got to see like who would like, or if you actually like got a little, like who is this person? Like, or, or like who was the person that put in the code? Like why was the code put in? And if it's something as boring as like, Hey, all weapons, we put that in so that we had an easy way to, like, use all weapons in the thing. Maybe there's a funny anecdote story that comes along with it. Like, that that's what I want more, is, like... This sounds more like a, a museum to me. Like, a cheat code museum, almost, where, like, yeah. there's, like, placards where, like, you're honoring the, the developers who, who design these cheat codes. And also, like, depicting the most either the most important ones or the most historic ones. Like, a game within a game is, like, one of the ones that you said is, like, absolute must yeah. preser- preservation-wise. Um, and that 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 makes sense to me. And if even if that isn't, like, one of the most exciting cheat codes for some people, I do think that that is just, like, technologically something that we should hold on to and, and like, something that we can marvel at, that, that, like, people went out of their way to make a game within a game. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent, and hide it, and and like not make it access easily accessible. I mean, that's a lot of work that you have to do for something that very few people will ever play. Exactly, and and what makes it that example I like a lot also because they tease it basically because you can play two levels like in the actual game and right, just think yeah. like, oh, what a cute Easter egg, and then like. <laughs> find out like a decade later like you were only playing like just a small fraction oh yeah cheat codes cheat codes are cool and i yeah i I think a cheat code museum would be fun um like i've i've been i've seen video game museum exhibits um and they're fairly interesting um but i uh i really like that i yeah i guess it would be more of a of a museum like i suggested books or a library because like that's that's like what you presented initially but also i'm thinking like if there's a game if there's a 
is there an exhibit on Grand Theft Auto or is there like an entire chapter on Grand Theft Auto, right? And so I just I was thinking of it more like let's run through all these cheat codes and everyone gives gives it a blurb. Maybe that combined. Oh man, it honestly like you know both would be really cool. Like if I was in like fucking Bicentennial Man or like Minority Report, you know, some some like super sci-fi future, I could totally picture like walking into a museum with like beautifully curvy white stairs and like tall fucking shelves of just like video game books where we like reference this thing but then when you like go into the exhibit you see like the consoles and like a hologram of like whatever the video game character is because you know we're definitely not getting holograms of the fucking developers (laughs) like some some person who's just way too tired half slunched over sciatic (laughs) is all fucked up Yeah, I brought up museums because, well, one, the placards that you were talking about, like the description of like who created it and why they created it reminded me of museums. But museums are also um, like major places of that like store archival data um, and and like the the idea of like keeping things in, in good condition, um, like, you know, archaeologically or, or like pieces of art, um, you know, the same kind of preservation that goes into like library maintenance and museum maintenance. I think that there's there's some serious overlap there. They're doing a lot of um it's data management essentially. Okay, now I think it's a good time to touch on where cheat codes are in current day. And Ryan kind of uh was bringing us here earlier when he mentioned um microtransactions and that ties in very well to my d-pad delight which is the grand theft auto flying cars um my wife and i we play grand theft auto 5 online together um semi-often nowadays and we we really enjoy driving around and just like shooting the shit in open world and something that grand theft auto offers are vehicles uh that can they now offer vehicles that can fly. Like, if you just grind whatever in-game currency they have, you can buy a flying motorcycle with, like, homing missiles and machine guns, or you can buy, like, a flying DeLorean. And obviously, as per information I gave earlier in this episode, I had to have the flying DeLorean. Um, so the flying DeLorean, I think, costs, like, a million... No, it, the flying DeLorean costs, like, $4 million, which is... I think it's I think that's about 50 bucks maybe or more in real world money. So in Grand Theft Auto, like one to grind up 4 million dollars, like that takes so long. Like it like I would guess at least a month if not more uh of playing like with all your free time and and playing well by the way cuz like when you lose missions, you got to spend money to buy new armor and new health items and all this shit. And anyway, anyway, so they have shark cards. You can spend real money to get an in-game credit card. They're called shark cards, and you can get them at different values. They, they, it's, it's, it's all a, it's a extremely capitalistic joke on capitalism. It's kind of weird because it's doing exactly what it's joking about. But if you cough up, <laughs> but if you cough up. Um, some real-world dough, you can get these vehicles much quicker, and I consider them... I consider these to definitely be, like, DLC... Like, microtransaction-type vehicles. Like, you're not gonna... 
you're not going to grind, you know, enough gameplay to make $4 million or however much you need. You're more likely to just like drop 20 to 50 to a hundred dollars and be like, give me the DeLorean. And that's where I see, that's where I feel like I see a lot of cheat codes nowadays is in these like microtransactions, be it the like, here's a vehicle, you can get it through natural gameplay, but if you want to get it faster, like spend some money. $50 is not micro. Uh, yeah, I, I, well, fair, yes. <laughs> it's not micro. That is it, a transaction. That's a macro <laughs> transaction. So, that, def- definitely, like, we're seeing some cheat code functionality built into games as, like, big purchase DLC. I think we see this a bit in, like, the more, let's say, financially micro transaction of time savers, like XP boosters, uh, you know, like Call of Duty has them out the wazoo, like double gun XP, double battle pass XP, double uh, character XP. Like, I, I don't know. They give you so many tokens for double XP. Uh, we see that in the Assassin's Creed games as well. They're cheats, but only in the sense, for the XP boosters specifically, they're cheats, but not in the sense that it like modifies the entire game or like puts the game horribly in your favor. It just gets you to a powerful point quicker. Yeah, it's more of a bonus than a cheat, I think, because it isn't really changing any of the interactivity of the game. It's like changing the UI, which is which feels different to me than No, I get I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Like it but I just don't think it's only changing the UI, like it's it's, you know, changing the number intake of like whatever you're supposed to be getting, but I see the case where time savers are not a cheat code because you are not like doing a a, a like weird input outside of the game um and it's also like tied into the game it doesn't heavily modify the game it's not like you're turning on big head mode or you're not cosmetically changing a big part of the game you're just making your character more powerful quicker never mind i'm wrong on that i don't think time savers are cheat codes i did initially (laughs) nice change of heart is back (laughs) (laughs) but yeah ryan what, what do you think nowadays uh i did mention the telephone numbers in gta 5 but do you think there are other things that are like cheat cheat codes still lingering that aren't actually cheat codes. Yeah, I mean, to what extent are mods still relevant? You know, like I don't really do yeah. P- any PC gaming at this point in my life, but those seem to me to be like the techiest end of the cheat codes, and because they required like actual programming, and I could imagine that they would go nowhere, like or that they that they would continue to to survive nowadays, because as long as games are being made, people will want to. Um, yeah customize it in some way and and the people who are techier are going to be able to do that and then they could put it out there and um it just makes sense you know i totally agree um i think one of the most fun examples i've seen of mods recently was like oni plays playing uh, grand theft auto 5 they in grand theft auto 5 single player like people have made mod menus um well, people have made mods for Grand Theft Auto Online and Grand Theft Auto 5 single player. But anyway, they were using a single player menu and it would l- allow you to like change your character model to like whoever or whatever you want. Like you could go from human to cat and literally walk around as a cat. <laughs> and like <laughs> you could have like I think like one of the things was like uh it, it like might have equipped you with a grapple hook which like is just a uh, added built-in functionality. It's not even it's not actually in the game. Um so, like, mods are definitely still there. Like, that—that that is what that is to say. Mods are still there, and I agree. They're not, they're not going to go anywhere. I think, like, maybe 
even data mining might be under the mods uh, thing. When I say data mining, I mean when people like take a full game's files and then just like break it down and like scrub through like like Logan's face dot JPEG, Logan's face two dot JPEG, and like try to scrub through to see like oh shit Half Life three there's an there's something called Half Life three in here <laughs> right uh like. I think that's kind of part of modding, but it's not necessarily, like, for the game. Like, you're taking it to, like, a way more abstract, techie level at that point. I, I, don't, think I, I don't think I understand the difference. So is one, is one the case that you're adding a script and the other the case that you're changing the pre-existing script? Yes. No, well, oh, okay, so, so you had the first half right. So one is, like, you're adding a script, like a menu overlay on the game that just lets you, you know, add infinite guns rather than putting in an entire sequence. Um, that's much more of, like, a PC debug menu type interface. And with the data mining thing, it's more like, it's more like, say, when you put a CD into your computer and you double click on it to see all 12 tracks in the folder, except balloon that by thousands of files that comprise the entire game, like character models, textures, uh, like, yes, uh, scripts and, and like all that different stuff, audio files, that type of thing. Um, so that that that's why I call it like way more techie. And if anything, I don't think you even do it in the console itself. Like it's something that like you really only do on a PC. Why do people do this? What the data mining thing? Yeah, I mean, it seems like it would be so time intensive, and it's like just go make your own game, dude. Like, what's up? Uh, well, I don't think I don't think the outcomes are the are the same. Like, it's. I think it's less about wanting to know how it was put together because you don't know that just by seeing raw files. That'd be mm-hmm. <laughs> that'd be like looking at a bunch of uh, vegetables and meat on the on the counter and like being like how, like how does this turn into a stew, right? Or right, like you yeah. deconstruct yeah, you deconstruct the stew, you don't see the steps in between. So like reverse engineering is that kind of what you're talking exactly, about? Exactly. Yeah, more- yeah. It, it's it's reverse engineering but like but but you're skipping the step of actually knowing how it's put together. That's why I'm saying like that. It it wouldn't help them know how to like put the game together because right, right. It's yeah. seeing the stew and not re- not ever seeing a real a raw vegetable before, right? Like it's, it's like it's, oh, there's it's, this it's, stew on the counter and like, ex- exactly, yeah. I don't yeah, know yeah. what a carrot is. Yeah, exactly. You see the stew on the counter, you're like, huh, that's a stew, and then you like go to like 30 minutes ago or whatever, and you see all the raw vegetables, and then you just like miss the part where like Martha Stewart comes in and makes a delicious stew. That's that's the whole development cycle right there. Um, so I think I think it's kind of like not it's similar to the cheat code slash Easter egg hunt. I think if anything, it is not purely, but it is mostly Easter egg hunt. Are these like data miners like goals? Uh, like like if I search through Half Life Alex, will I find files called Half Life Three? Or I think that also happened for like Portal and or Left for Dead. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, that's kind of like the big thing. The other things I've seen from it are like people swapping around files and making funny videos on the internet, like uh, Metal Gear Solid Five, The Phantom Pain. <laughs> people, people would like like swap assets around to uh, make like I think it was Quiet's cutscene. Quiet has this cutscene where she like rolls around on the floor in the rain, and it's very, uh, very weird. And they. 
a data miner like replaced her model with the ghost from PT. So you see the ghost from PT like like just all like I don't know, just just moving very weirdly. It's it it's I, it's so weird. I'm sorry. It's, like, so hard to explain because, like, also the pigeons in the background are just replaced by, like, the fetus from PT. So you see floating fetuses in the background as well. And it's all happening in Metal Gear Solid. And you're like, wait, how the fuck does this happen? And y- there you go. You have the data miners. Um, so it's neat. Actually, That I didn't really think of it that way either. So there's, like, there there's part of it that's an Easter egg hunt. And there's part of it where people actually, like, create something new out of it. I want to ask you an off-topic-ish question. Yeah. This may be controversial, so brace yourself. Bum bum. Are Amiibos modern-day cheat codes? Um... I kind of think potentially, although, honestly, I think it falls more under that password category that we had before. Like... Uh, interesting. Like level loader. You're talking about the level loader thing because they they activate function. They, and they it's have not an interface hidden. for it too. Most of the time, there's an interface yeah. for it, right? Like if you're playing Breath of the Wild and you touch one of the doohickeys to the controller, or it might actually have you go to a menu and then say Amiibo time, and then you touch your doohickey. But either way, a screen comes up that says, "Oh, hang on, the doohickey's interfacing," and then it'll like give you items or something else. That that's another thing too. Is like. Sure, Amiibos oftentimes provide items, but I haven't seen them do anything that, like, heavily modifies the game. So, like, I think you could put a cheat code in an Amiibo, but I don't think an Amiibo itself is is used as a cheat code. More often than not, the Amiibos have been just for, like, providing items or, like, a new costume or something like that, which, like, maybe you could call the new costume a cheat code. In Animal Crossing, you can summon villagers if you if you have a specific... Amiibo, you can summon a villager and, like, modify which villagers are on your island uh, based on that. I don't know if that would, if that... I think that's part of the game, though. Influences you. Okay, fine. Because, well, I I mean, I'm not familiar with Animal Crossing, but they do, like, move out of, like, people move in and out of your village, right, in that game? So that would, that would just, to me, that just works as part of the loop, then. All right, let's get into our skill treat. Um, yes, if you are unfamiliar with skill treat, this is a, a newer segment where one of us, our host for the episode, will introduce a piece of information to share with our co-host and the audience. So today I will be sharing my skill treat, which is the strategy canvas. This is something I learned about um, kind of recently. Uh, a strategy canvas is basically a line graph that plots functions slash factors against importance for, say, a company or an organization. And then it overlays its competitors or industry benchmarks. Um, that way, the the like company can like formulate a strategy for their product. So that that's a lot of words that may not make a lot of sense. So let me see if I could like. Let me see if I can make it make more sense. Um, let's say you're making a movie, right? Like you you want to direct a movie. Uh, it's going to be like a Nightmare Before Christmas movie. You're going to make Nightmare Before Christmas 2. And you need to figure out like what target do you want to hit with your movie? Like like how long does it – how long do you want it to be? Like how scary do you want it to be? Like how – 
uh, I don't know, how musical do you want it to be versus just like regular non-musical drama? So you would take all of these factors and plot them out high to low, right? Like musical, low low musical to high musical uh, length, like low length to high length. And then you would find a lot of like similar movies to Nightmare Before Christmas or to whatever you're making. And, and you would take these examples and plot them out on this high to low chart in each column and be like, okay, how musical, let's take Tarzan as one of our competitor examples. Like, how long is Tarzan compared to Nightmare Before Christmas? Is it like longer or shorter? And you plop it on the graph. Uh, how musical is Tarzan compared to Nightmare Before Christmas? Is it longer or shorter? And plop it on the graph. And then you do that for like all your competitors and you get this really cool graph where you can like connect the dots between all the Tarzans and all the nightmares and see how they chart out for everything. And it gives you like a really good idea of what the thing you're hoping to create is or or where you're hoping it'll sit and it's a very it's a fun exercise to go through uh that's kind of like my big takeaway it gives you a lot of good information plus it's just an overall fun exercise to go through it like gets you thinking in an interesting and new way um especially like if you if you are trying to make something it's certainly a exercise you want to familiarize yourself a little bit with so, so like, let's say, let's take the Tarzan and Nightmare Before Christmas, right? Like, so, if I was gonna, if, let's say, point one on the graph mm-hmm. would be uh, uh, how musical it is, and let's say point two was how spooky it is, it, if Tarzan is more musical but less spooky, then we would have, like, a downward slope, and then yes. it would be the opposite would be true for, for Nightmare Before Christmas, um, but the direction doesn't really make much of a difference since the first point and the second point are not comparing things that are really right. similar. So what's the, what is the function of that? It shows you kind of like how things trend or how that product, how that product trends or where it kind of lives as a whole. So rather than trying to read it like point to point to point, you're more so you're almost like getting this, like, uh, if we were to make it more video gamey, you're getting this kind of like diamond RP, this RPG chart that's like a circle with a diamond in it that's like okay. pulling in different directions, right? I, so I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, that's your high to low in a more radial format, and that okay. will tell me like, oh, okay, so Nightmare Before Christmas is yeah, like like medium musical, like high spooky. Uh, Tarzan's in this other way, and. For whatever you're trying to make, which in this case would be Nightmare Before Christmas 2, you'll know where to plop that down once you have these points and you sort of know what the identity of each thing is compared to its competitors, right? And I guess, like, some better examples would be, say, like, Frankenweenie and Paranorman because those are on the more spooky end of the animated movies. Like, you can compare those much more easily and see where each of them live. And then at the end of of the strategy canvas exercise you could say oh okay i want nightmare before christmas 2 to be like longer than paranorman but i definitely want it to be spookier than nightmare before christmas 1 and i want it to be like less musical than nightmare before christmas 1 because maybe that didn't get as much love okay so so it helps you get a like a a reference point for what your piece could be based on these major points of comparison that you want to look at. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and it, 
I also like that you switched from the Tarzan example to to other things that that seem more related because I could imagine that like if you were going to do this for like video games, let's say you were going to be working on like a Walking Dead IP, like you you could compare all Walking Dead games or you could compare all zombie games, you know, or or, or a set of them, you know, like let's choose te- the ten best selling Walking Dead games and figure out right in that scatter chart. Per- great example right there in that strategy canvas. You you would definitely like grab a couple walking dead games to compare to but depending on what phase you do this in you may want to know like what type of game it is like if you are if your team or whatever is leaning towards like a first person game then maybe you favor the first person comparisons more so or you pull in more of the first person walking dead games whereas if it is a shooter game maybe you kind of leave the telltale walking dead stuff out of the comparisons because sure, people sure. know it's yeah. not going to be that yeah i could imagine I, I imagine you can do this on an even more granular level where it's like we're going to take everybody in the studio is going to look at the same 5 or 10 games but the like artists are going to specifically look at like color saturation and you know darkness and sharpness and and all of these like you know these things that would be relevant for animators to to have to focus on um and you know if each team is like you know if we're in breakout teams and each team is figuring out exactly what kind of aesthetic they want to go with then they can meet back up after they've all done their kind of uh, you know analysis and and Right? Is that possible? Is that yeah? So a strategy canvas typically the team works on together. The the entire team, not the entire team. Sorry, I say not the entire team because I'm imagining like 150 people at a studio. Sure. That's way too unwieldy. It's more so like, uh, and and multiple people could do strategy canvas, right? Like. You could have like audio guys doing like a strat- strategy canvas for their own like thing, having like maybe AI people doing like a strategy canvas on that. But yeah, typically like these, I think these are done more in a like a smaller group and then that gets fed out to the larger group. So like the strategy canvas is, is helping to determine a goal, vision, or point to reach and through there you could like fill in the blanks and like have that lighthouse beacon to bring you forward okay i got you that makes sense that's pretty cool that yeah that seems like a good like any anything to help break down uh things into more like bite-sized components for when you're working with such large teams you know yeah i i've never worked on a project like that honestly almost every job that i've ever had it has been almost entirely like i'm on my own you know besides like jobs that i had like in college food service type stuff you know like where it's like clearly you're part of an integrated team and everybody has to be doing their piece but you know like what in casework and those kinds of things i'm i'm you know i it's not a team effort you know it's just like me and my clients working together I guess all that to say, I just don't have the same experience of like trying to uh, figure out how to make like a a system function smoothly the way that I guess you've seen the like different uh, studios do it, do things well, do things poorly. And you can kind of take away and like understand how to how, how the machinery is working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the machine is exactly the be- the way to put it. It's a big, big human-run, human-fueled machine, and uh, it's very interesting. Um, I mean, that's that's all I can put on it. It's uh, like how to make it run better is is like a fun problem to tackle. Since I am very much the like. I'm like just mental problem solving all the time. That's kind of just my life. Uh, and 
part of it that's not so fun is just realizing you're like a cog in that said machine. But I think part of that, though, is being like treated like a cog. Like, I think you can be in a human machine, but not be not feel like you're a cog. And maybe not in the dystopian way either, <laughs> where you're just like brainwashed into like company good, yes. <laughs> yeah, you're you're asking the question: How can you feel fulfillment at your workplace and also be a part of like a corporation or a very large company? Right. That's like yours. Like, is this possible? Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, for sure. Especially with like uh, when when games get bigger and bigger and stuff. And I think we've mentioned it in the past. Yeah, we've talked about this. Like the, the horse right, balls, the red dead balls. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, dude, that's like so a meme of like our like <laughs> of this podcast. Like the like horse the balls. Longest running joke is is like the Red Dead Redemption two horse balls guy. Like the person who worked on uh, yeah. Um, I hope one day, like, I hope one day we meet, we can, we meet him. Yeah, yeah. I would <laughs> a love to a just, guest like, on the podcast. <laughs> I would love to just exchange some DMs, like, "Hey, did you work on the horse balls? Can you tell me a little oh, bit about that?" Man. That's so funny. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Deep in the D Pad. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and share us with your friends. For updates and discussion, follow us on Reddit at r slash Deep in the D Pad. Facebook at Deep D-Pad and subscribe to Deep in the D-Pad on YouTube. Don't forget to hit the bell. And if you want to ask us questions or you had a chance to share your own D-Pad delight on the show, email us at askdeepinthedpad at gmail.com. Be sure to put question or delight in the subject line. Big thanks to 8-Bit Jazz and Kevin McLeod for supplying the music for the show.